0: This paid podcast was produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Spotify Studios. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by Ball in the Family, an all-new show only on Facebook Watch. Head to Facebook.com slash Ball in the Family to catch up and watch new episodes every Sunday. I think it represents
1: a utility, a building block, an audio sonic color for David that is a violence and something that really rips out of the television set and grabs the viewer and says, this is intense.
0: From Spotify Studios, this is Showstopper, the podcast that takes you inside the playlist of your favorite TV shows and films. I'm your host, Xavier Jernigan head of shows and editorial for North America's Spotify. Today we're talking about Twin Peaks to Return with sound supervisor Dean Hurley. The series first aired on ABC from 1990 to 91. Set in the fictitious town of Twin Peaks, Washington, it follows FBI agent Dale Cooper, who comes to town to investigate a mysterious death. The homecoming queen, Laura Palmer. With his signature surrealism, series creator David Lynch crafted a Northwest noir unlike anything else on television. He also directed The Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, and Mulholland Drive, which all developed their own cult followings. Even though ABC canceled the show after a second season, Lynch followed up with the prequel to the story, the feature film Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. But in spite of its brief network run, Twin Peaks developed a rabid following. And after a 25-year hiatus, the series finally got its third season on Showtime. This time, Kyle MacLachlan returns as Agent Cooper on a cross-country odyssey back to the small town where it all began. For Twin Peaks to return, David Lynch is credited as creator, director, executive producer, and sound designer, a rare combination. So we asked Dean Hurley, sound and music supervisor on the return, what the title of sound designer means to David Lynch.
1: We'll go back to like the 70s when this term kind of came about. A lot of the industry practitioners were uh, handling music and sound for a film soundtrack. And they wanted a more kind of illustrious description for that. So the sound designer was created as this term that meant someone who was the director of the soundtrack. And David, starting on his first film, Eraserhead, he was handling all aspects of that film. You know, he was picture editing it. He was making sounds. And he always considered himself the director of the soundtrack and And even finds it difficult to understand why other directors would not oversee that or wouldn't attend a final mix because I think he would love to just make them by himself in a room with no one privy to process and just show his
0: his work at the end of it. Dean operates and manages Asymmetrical Studio, David Lynch's personal film dubbing stage, recording studio, and sound lab in LA. He started out in the industry as a sound editor and music producer before he began collaborating with Lynch 12 years ago. Since then, Dean's role inside the studio has warped and expanded in weird and wonderful ways.
1: In many respects, my day-to-day becomes maintaining his studio and making it a place that he can experiment freely in whenever a whim comes, an idea fragment or whatever. And then over the years, as different projects would come up, you know, I just was thrust into these roles of I need this, I need that, I need this, you know, and it's blossomed in a way that prevented me from burning out or getting bored in in that
0: field. Dean's first contribution to the Twin Peaks canon was mixing 2014's The Missing Pieces. It was a feature-length compilation of deleted scenes from the prequel, Fire Walk With Me. Experiencing Twin Peaks as a fan first gave Dean a unique outlook on the phenomenon. How would you describe the Twin Peaks sound?
1: means different things for, I think, different elements of the show and the feature film as a whole, like the original series, which premiered 1990. Then you have the film prequel, Fire Walk With Me, and now we have this season three of of the series. And each one of those entities have its own sonic similarities and differences. I feel like in the original series, the emphasis was heavily on Angelo Bottlemente's score, where there was a lot of sort of bebop jazz mixed with 90s synthesizers.
0: Twin Peaks' to Return was celebrated for bringing back many of the principal cast and crew members who made the original series so unique. One such person was composer Angelo Badalamenti. He wrote and performed the Twin Peaks theme song along with many other tracks from the franchise. Working on The Return gave Dean the opportunity to watch two masters of their craft collaborate from opposite ends of the country.
1: For this season of Twin Peaks, since Angelo lives in New Jersey and David in L.A., Angelo's uh, studio engineer, Jim Bruning, and I kind of worked out this way where they could collaborate through the internet, where we had kind of like, they a, a video component so they could see each other. And then there was also um, like an ISDN-like uh, feed where David could hear precisely as if Angelo was in the same room. The way David sort of prods him and talks him through concepts of the film and then Hearing full cues just manifest themselves in real time. And it's crazy to see um, talent like that. And that's how they'd always worked, is like that in a room.
0: Part of the original series' allure was the ethereal soundscapes that Bada Lamenti coaxed out of the EMU Emulator 2, a synthesizer that bridged the worlds of analog and digital.
1: There's like a, a sample based guitar preset that ends up being this kind of emulating this baritone um, guitar you know on the on the main theme and you you kind of know that it sounds sampled and, and that it's hyper real and that sort of adds some unspoken quality to that whole thing. It's a very very interesting unique piece of music, especially as a main theme. The thing that fascinates me the most about it, it wasn't written as a main theme. It was written as a pop song. It it was just listening to that song as an instrumental is when I think David had the light bulb of, I want to use this as the main theme.
0: How does David give you direction?
1: He leads a lot of things with, do we have? Which is kind of a funny way in my mind to, to kind of approach this. But he'll say, do we have any kind of scary choir music. I'm thinking, well, I can't license that, so I'll quickly make something and send it back down to him, but he loves that sort of superhighway speed of action and reaction with ideas. I think I asked him before he went off on principal photography, like, uh, anything you want me to be thinking about or preparing? And I, his brow kind of furrows, and he, he just kind of stares off for a second, and he was just like, scary reggae dub and that just idea in and of itself i'm just like
0: i want to hear that
1: you know (laughs) right i'd love to hear that
0: does any of that dark dub end up in your score
1: no no that that is an example of,
0: of just what you bank or what he
1: he does that a lot of like throwing out things that he's interested in for twin peaks it was more more like um electricity and slow speed music. There's a dub element to that, but no, it was just one of the things he kind of threw out that he was interested in.
0: It seems like David wants to set it up where he's not boxing in the creatives that he's working with.
1: I think that statement right there is him in a nutshell and why he comes to solutions creatively is that he's continually protecting that. And what happens when you do that? You're just, you're constantly
0: surprised. Dean says there's a signature element that David Lynch brings to his projects as sound designer. But like so many things Lynchian, it eludes easy explanation.
1: It's really sound and music as it passes through the filter of David Lynch because there's no one element. It's anything from a a dark, brooding, amorphous sonic texture that's happening on the lower anchor end of a soundtrack that you almost can't put your finger on. It can be a a 60s pop song placed uh, amidst a sense of violence in in a scene. It's it's a lot of different things.
0: What does Laura Palmer's theme mean for the show?
1: I'll tell a story which kind of blows my mind. When David and Angela were working on playing some of the original music in different ways, so... When I'm looking at this Pro Tools timeline, there was a string out of a bunch of Laura Palmer's theme performances. And I look at the screen, and I see the MIDI notation, and I was like, wow, that looks like a mountain range. You know, because it's just up, down, up, down, up, down. Like Then I I zoomed in and saw a single take, and what I was looking at was essentially twin peaks, two rises and two, two falls. There was like a very profound eerie feeling but i'm seeing that i'm thinking holy shit the dna of the notes literally forms a visual that represents the title and the the show's foundation and i printed out this image i showed it to david I emailed it to Angelo. I think the first question people ask were like, "They so they knew about it? And it's like, no, they didn't know. It's just <laughs> like, it's just they're tuned into something.
0: How did David and Angelo respond to seeing the MIDI?
1: David was like, I feel like he kind of lives his life for these types of recognitions. So I showed him the image and I said, like, well, what does this look like to you? And he goes, Twine Peaks. And I was like, this is the MIDI for Laura Palmer scene. And he's like, um... It's cosmic. It's cosmic. It's cosmic. He kept repeating that. It's mostly intuition. There's a lot going on in his head. And I know that there is a, a key source to what all this stuff means. It's almost like a magnet where it pulls things in and it speaks to him in a way where he knows where he's going, but he's also uh, willing to find answers and and connect things that he hadn't thought about, and I feel like that's uh, the root at getting a work that's beyond the creator himself, where it speaks back to him. I think that's what a lot of music is is you hear people talk about this, songwriters, they talk about the channeling, you know the, the trying to tune in and to try to let them be a conduit, and that's a successful conduit right there. David, he's not just obtuse to the media and refusing to explain things he's obtuse you know while we're working on it I'll get these clues where you know on the dub stage where he'll say something like um you know why don't we try that piece that we used in this other scene here and to me it's like all of a sudden a giant clue of holy shit he sees those two things connected you know I don't I don't press him on it. I don't want to talk to him about it. It means something to him. It then means something to me. I don't know if they are similar, but I think that's sort of the key to his work in terms of knowing that there's something beyond and that there is a, um, a sense, there's a, a logic to everything, but not being able to quantify it all, you know, is where things start to get really
0: interesting. Season three brought back a familiar haunt, The Roadhouse, a seedy biker bar with live music and dancing. In the original series, the house band was fronted by Julie Cruz, who performed songs composed by Bata Lamenti with lyrics by David Lynch. In their return, there was no house band, but...
1: As soon as David and Mark had finished writing this new s- season, David said, we're going to shoot like 10 bands in the course of a day, and every time we visit the roadhouse in the script, it's a different band. And that became kind of like a mini- music festival in the middle of production
0: so dean set about curating a roster of bands that david could get excited about then riley lynch a musician and filmmaker and also david's son came to dean with a big pitch he was like
1: i really want to do something for the roadhouse so we thought about it for a little bit and it's like okay well let's let's just get together do some stuff knowing that it would probably be a little bit more interesting if we had, since it was going to be instrumental, had a sort of vocal-like component. And that was the idea of bringing my friend Alex, who plays sax. He had a project called Dirty Beaches, and his current project is called Last Lizard. He taught himself saxophone within the last few years and has a very wild, esoteric, free jazz approach to playing the sax, so that was the sort of ingredients to go into the studio and, and try to get something that David could get excited about. And I played it for him, and it was definitely like a kind of a quiet approval where David's like, pretty pretty fucking good. We ended up serving as the guinea pig for that Roadhouse filming performance because we were the first ones that oh. you know, allowed them to test the lighting and all that jazz.
0: Riley, Alex, and Dean's band became the first of a dozen acts to perform at the Roadhouse, including the Cactus Blossoms, Chromatics, and Sharon Van Etten. The interesting thing is all
1: three of those acts ended up having these odd sort of Lynch connections or tie-ins or touchstones in the very songs that they had written that I found out about later.
0: One instance is the song Shadow, by chromatics.
1: Johnny Jewell, I, he mentioned this probably like a couple weeks ago to me. Like he said, to get the band members' vocal take for that song, I showed them the scene from the original series uh, where um, James, Donna, and Maddie are sitting around in the living room singing Just You again and again and again to try to, in a way, hypnotize them into this very rough-around-the-edges, tender approach to the work. That was just completely unintentional connection there.
0: The connection followed to The Cactus Blossoms. The album was produced
1: by this guy, J.D. McPherson. Now, they're doing like Americana, like Everly Brothers influence kind of rock, but he kept saying, like, think more David Lynch, because that added another dreamy, quality to their takes it's like back to the the midi in laura palmer's theme there's a connection there and that magnetic connection pulls these people into this universe i remember my my pitch was this bubbling overflowing excitement and i was like david what if i told you that you could have the everly brothers perform in the roadhouse and it was just like how is this even possible don't get me this excited you know kind of thing So that was like, I think the biggest
0: win moment
1: is is seeing him get excited about that.
0: It seems that he has an obsession with 50s harmonies like the Everly Brothers. What is it about the Everly Brothers?
1: Everly Brothers harmonies have always been one of those components that he's always continually returned to and talked to me about through the years in terms of music. You need a familial pair, people with DNA in their vocal cords where they're similar enough but different enough to create the close harmony thing with a familial vocal chord that produces that. And to have actual brothers who are interested in that style of music, it's like a Haley's Comet situation.
0: We're going to take a quick break. Calling all snack connoisseurs. This sponsorship is for you. If you're an artisanal meat and cheese lover, look no further than Hillshire Snacking Small Plates. Take your favorite bites on the go. Prosciutto and cheddar cheese, spicy salami and gouda cheese. You get the picture. Hillshire Snacking Small Plates, a snack above. Find your perfect pairing at hillshiresnacking.com. Now, back to the show. In the 25 years that elapsed between Twin Peaks' second and third seasons, the series' themes grew beyond the existential horror of small-town America. Impending doom dominates the Showtime series. Lynch connects disparate topics like the rise of global internet culture, looming ecological disaster, and the threat of nuclear annihilation. As sound supervisor, Dean had to accommodate David's desire to sonically weave these divergent conceptual elements together.
1: I still have a difficult time thinking of it in sc- as score. It was more just connecting the dots. There were certain things that I knew from the script level that he was going to want to play with, which was electricity, this beefy, sputtering, 60-cycle hum that is deafening at times. And
0: What is it about electricity with David?
1: It's a motif in his mind. It's a a representative force, a power that is man-made and introduced and in all of our homes, and it seemingly controls us in these ways that we don't think about. It's fairly innocuous in our current thinking, but when you really think about the ramifications of power lines connecting everything and it being like in the show portrayed as this very sinister undercurrent, Electricity is, is super powerful. And it's been a theme in his, in his paintings and in, in his other films and music explorations. It just represents something to him.
0: A number of stylistic threads that tied together the return were born out of happy accidents. The crackling electrical sputter that suffuses the season was first discovered when Dean powered up a forgotten piece of equipment that was gathering dust in David's studio. It was something
1: that, you know was stumbled upon because something was broken and saying, you know, the reason that I found this is because you told me to go record on this thing, which I haven't touched for years. It's just one of those serendipitous things where there it was, sitting there ready to
0: to be used. Dean credits these cosmic coincidences to David's meticulous mentality.
1: There was like a, a Nikola Tesla opera that that David and Angelo had talked about and ruminated on and, and done some music for. And one of those cues ended up in the show, and it's called The Chair. And it was used in the scene with Bobby Briggs and Charlotte Stewart explaining how Major Briggs had left this thing for Bobby and had faith in Bobby through all these years, even though Bobby was kind of flailing. and. Using this sort of time capsule score, just kind of poetic, where it was just this thing that David and Angelo had done years ago. It just sat there dormant. I talk a lot about David saying, do we have? It's because of this library mentality where you do the work, you generate, you generate, you generate, and you collect, and you catalog. And then one day, you can then return to the thing that you've you've mined. and Oh, you know, this is actually perfect for this sort of thing that, that David's working on now.
0: David Lynch is constantly mining his own work, reaching back decades, tying threads together to make something new. Slow 30's Room is a hypnotic down-tempo number featured in The Return, but it actually began its life in an art museum in Paris.
1: We have to go back 10 years for this one. This song originated as part of an art exhibition for David's work by Foundation Cartier in 2007. It was called The Arizona Fire. And... David had done these 3 by 5 card drawings earlier in his career and had the concept to build one of these card drawings into a physical room that a gallery goer could move around in. And there were speakers throughout the entire gallery space. People could go up and press a button and it would inject sound into the overall soundscape of the show. That was the birth of that song. So it was soundtracking... This room that was recreated from this postcard drawing of this little doodle. And when the show came about, and I started seeing dailies from the fireman's home, it was the same visual style as that room that was recreated. So there was this connection of, this is the same thing. So... This instrument that was used to create this was made by Mattel. It was called the Optigon. It was Mattel's answer to an inexpensive parlor organ that was half toy, half professional instrument. It's like an early sampler, and it had these cord buttons. And the Optagon had this genius solution where it, it took a an acetate disc and printed optical loops on it. And every time you held down a button, it was... Positioning light shining through that like an old film soundtrack. so if there's any dust in the way, that's why sound old soundtracks sound the way they do is because dust is getting in between and affecting that light passing through and then translating back into electrical pulses and sound waves. You're literally playing something through. The patina of time because that dust is getting in the way and enriching the sound with something that I think our brains hear as time or faraway vintage history. And whenever you're trying to emulate an old sound like that, you might as well go to this instrument.
0: What was your favorite thing about the whole? process of working on Twin Peaks to return
1: I think my favorite thing is watching the history of who David is and and what he's contributed to cinema and I don't it's very hard to put into words but seeing something that has had some cultural significance and means a lot to people go away and then come back in a way that not a lot of things have that's awe-inspiring decades went by and then they got the band back together in a way. And seeing that happen, it's that cinema magic of collapsing time and juxtaposing things. And you see the human experience before you. You're just left with that feeling in your gut that just feels powerful, but you can't, you know, say it in in words. It's like the human experience of like, why,
0: why we're here? Dean, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you for lending your time and your knowledge, expertise, and your experiences to Showstopper here at Nightbird Studios in L.A., but we really, really appreciate it. Thanks uh, a lot for uh, man, having Dean, me. Thank you, brother. This was awesome. Check out the official Twin Peaks playlist right here, only on Spotify. Showstopper is produced by Spotify Studios in collaboration with Slate Studios with production by Fanny Co., our producers are Fannie Cohen and Morgan Hecht. Special thanks to Natalie Teller, Leah Campbell, Sharon Wong, and Michelle Siegel. Our theme song is produced by my homie, Prince Maestro. From Spotify, I'm Xavier Jernigan. Keep listening. Today's episode of Showstopper is presented by the Army National Guard. Discover how you can make a difference in your community and country by visiting GoArmy.com slash Army Guard and discover more episodes of Showstopper only on Spotify.